Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, I chat with Daniel Prince and get an update from him. He was on the podcast about three years ago. He's the host of the podcast, Once Bitten, a Bitcoin podcast. He's the author of the book, Choose Life, the tools, tricks, and hacks of long-term family travelers, world schoolers, and digital nomads. Basically, he stopped the corporate life a while back and decided he was going to travel the world with his family. And he did that for years. He's kind of settled in in France. And I wanted to get an update from him on what's going on. What's he doing for, you know, money? What's he doing for his kid's education? How's he thinking about the world? So this is an update episode with Daniel Prince, just a person that is living clearly on his own terms. And I like picking in the brains of these kinds of people. So perhaps this is a selfish episode for myself. I think you're going to enjoy it. I like getting alternate viewpoints on just life and the world. And if you want to follow him on Twitter, he's very active on Twitter. His Twitter handle is at Princey, P-R-I-N-C-E-Y, Princey, S-O-V, for store of value. So at Princey, S-O-V. And if you are listening to this and you're trying to live life on your own terms and you don't know where to start, maybe real estate is part of your journey. Maybe it's not but maybe you want some more information about it. So you can check out all the information we're putting out to help investors in this area of the greater Toronto area at rockstarinnercircle.com. And on there, we have links to all different podcast episodes like this one, links to our YouTube videos. We have free reports, free books that we've put together over the years, articles that we've put together. So everything that we are sharing with people is on that website. You can join our weekly email list that goes out to tens of thousands of Canadians about and it's all about real estate investing and the different things that we're doing with investors in this particular area. You can put your email in there and get on that weekly email list as well. That's all available to you at rockstarinnercircle.com. That's enough with this intro. Let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. We are currently recording into the cloud, Daniel. As I say that, that means some other entity might be capturing this wonderful podcast and altering it. And who knows what is going to be actually recorded. I'm joking. I'm joking. At some point we might get there though. With Who knows? I shouldn't even say these things. <laughs> but uh, Daniel Prince, thanks for taking the time. I don't even know what country you're currently in. I think last time I spoke to you a couple of years ago, you were in France. Mm-hmm. Are you still in France? We we are in a different place, but we are still in France. And uh, we have been just to the US, uh, myself and three of my kids. We were in Miami for the, uh, the conference that, uh, that went down, which was, which was great fun. Um, and you know, it, it's bittersweet, right? Because to get into that country, I had to, uh, buy certain documents on, um, on black markets to, uh, to upgrade my medical, uh, kind of, um, documentation. And I just, just, it highlights what a clown world that we live in, that you have to go to such lengths just to cross a freaking border to go and uh, speak at a conference and have incredible com- uh, conversations with, um, with your network, with your friends, with your peers, with your colleagues, with your business partners. Yeah. Um, and and the, the, the real joke of it all is not at one stage was I asked to present the proof 
of uh, of that particular document. Uh, not once, not by the airline. And I traveled through three different airports. I traveled through Toulouse, Frankfurt, Tampa, and into Miami. No checks by any airline, by any border officials. So it's so ridiculous that that country is still on their website forcing or making people to you know, make a decision. And is it still, I thought in the last two weeks or something, I I thought they just dropped, but I guess not. I don't really check, but no. Uh, It it hadn't dropped by the time um, I was due to to leave. Uh, So got it. Okay. Anyway, anyway, we had a great time. That was amazing. (laughs) Being around I feel like you had to go. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I wonder where the authority of the, like a neat, yeah. I wonder just hearing you say that, cause you, you, you chose the words to hang out with. I don't know if you said your people or your, you know, your, you, you know, like the people you were interested in hanging out. It, it does seem that we're layering on so, the global society. Now, the ability to build our own network, tribe, community, whatever you want to call it. And it's kind of overlapping on top of the nation state infrastructure that almost feels archaic at this point, like, and, you know, some people will argue me saying, well, argue with uh, that point with me saying we need a tax base and, you know, how else are we going to pay for all these things? And like, I understand all the arguments, but it does seem like we have this weird archaic infrastructure that is being replaced. Like, look at us chatting right now. Like I would never get a chance to talk Mm -hmm. to you. We already decided before this, that you're never coming to Canada. So we, uh, I'm joking. I'm joking. Maybe (laughs) one day, maybe, (laughs) but, but when would we have an opportunity like this? And it's interesting to see where this heads um, over the next, you know, 10 years. Actually, I want to ask you about, about that, but before mm-hmm. we do that, there's some people who maybe don't know your backstory and I know you're, you've shared it, but can you just maybe quickly, you know, in one or two minutes or whatever, just tell everyone how you got to the place where you're sitting in France right now, like starting at the corporate life kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I left school at the age of 19. I did not go to university. I grew up in the Southeast of the United Kingdom very close to London. London was 30 to 50 miles away and it would take you an hour to commute into London. So I followed my father's footsteps into the financial markets. I was working as a, um, a runner, uh, a very low down, like the lowest low of down trainee graduate um, straight, uh, straight into the uh, hell pit of foreign exchange uh, spot <laughs> markets on the, the dollar mark desk where you would ex- be exchanging US dollars for Deutschmarks uh, in tens of millions every second of the day. Uh, watching those guys do that was absolutely incredible, especially for a 19-year-old kid. Like, what the hell is this, you know? You'd been living that insulated, indoctrinated life in the, um, the, the state education system and then catapulted into a complete new universe. And it was very, very fast-moving, really enjoyable, high adrenaline, very hard work, very long hours. Um, I got the opportunity to be moved across to uh, Singapore in 1999, where I spent 15 years uh, in that same um, arena of business. I was in foreign exchange options, brokering uh, the those for banks um, in Asia, primarily dollar yen or um, dollar Hong Kong dollar uh, against the Taiwan, against uh, the Chinese renminbi, you name it. Um, it was all it was all going on, all go, all good fun. In two thousand, back end of two thousand thirteen, I read the Four Hour Work Week by, by Tim Ferriss. 
And I was just kicked in the gut by that book because I suddenly came to the realization that I was living a deferred lifestyle. And that really hit home, especially because we'd just been landed with uh, our third and fourth kid. Um, a surprise twin pregnancy took us from two to four. So I was already having like huge questions in my mind, like, okay, what does this mean for life? What does this, what does this do for us? This probably means I have to sit in this chair for another 25 instead of the 15 I was hoping. Like you know, mm. all of this kind of nonsense going around in your mind. And that book, I, I must have read it at an opportune time um, because it made me sit up and realize and start thinking in a different way. Uh, and by May of 2014, we'd sold pretty much everything we owned. We'd given our keys back to the uh, to our landlord, and we were off. And we started traveling with the kids long term, with no real plan. Uh, for we thought we'd be able to last for nine months. Um, we ended up home swapping our way around the world, uh, and we long term traveled for two and a half years. Then we were house sitting. Uh, for about two or three months over the summer of 2016, I want to say, if I'm right, in France. And we, we really loved the rural life, the countryside, the beautiful little picturesque medieval towns, the local uh, tabac, the, the, the wonderful bistros, and, and the pace and the way of life. And we wanted the kids to learn another language, and we figured, well, let's just hang here for a little while. And we've been here ever since, different places, um, mixed with a bit of travel in between when we weren't locked down. Uh, so that's kind of um, the quick story. And whilst uh, 2017 it was, I started writing the book, and that was when we were just in the countryside and I had a bit of air just to like kind of digest, well, what did we just do over the last two and a half years? Well, I quit a job had a high paying salary. We took on loads of, you know, risk in other people's eyes, huge amounts of risk. We uh, were irresponsible parents because we were homeschooling, world schooling, <laughs> unschooling our kids rather than giving them the best education possible uh, in, you know, uh, an indoctrination camp. Um, so I figured I, I've probably got a little bit to say about this, but I kept a blog running the whole time. A friend of mine said, "You got to read the. You got to excuse me. You got to write the book, man. Write write the book. Like why why wouldn't you do this? Why why would you keep this secret? Why wouldn't you help other families that might be thinking about doing the same thing as you?" And that was my inspiration um, to kick up the ass I needed to actually read it because I thought if one other family picks this book up and it releases their kids from the uh, the education system and it releases the mother or the father or both from their uh, soul-sucking nine-to-five life that they'd painted themselves into a corner of doing, then it would be worth it. So I started writing. And I, as soon as my fingers touched the, the type pad, I couldn't stop, and it just came pouring out. And um, that's when I hired an editor once I'd got all of it out, and she rejigged it all. Um, my wife then added her thoughts at the end of each paragraph. And I think my daughter, actually, at the time, she must have been about 11. I think she added a paragraph in, packaged it all up, uh, got it looking nice, got a, um, I used 99 designs for like, I don't know, a hundred bucks or something to get the cover and self-published on Amazon. And uh, since then, I have met people that 
have been so thankful for me to have written the book and it has impacted their life and it's changed their life. And uh, that is as much payback as I need. I think your book is really good. You know, and the full title is choose life, the tools, tricks, and hacks. Um, I stopped, I stopped writing at the word hacks. Do you remember the full <laughs> for long term, for long term um, family travelers and world schoolers or digital nomads, something like that. Thank you. Thank you. I, I just stopped. I appreciate yeah. it. Thank you. And, and funnily enough, funnily enough that the reason that that subtitle is so long, and I can't remember whether it was a Tim Ferriss blog or some, some kind of random analytics said the absolute perfect amount of words for a subtitle is 17. <laughs> I'm like, huh? Well, someone's done the research, I suppose. So I yeah, wrote it down. Yeah, yeah. I, I wrote down what I wanted to get across and counted the words. It was 17. I'm like, all right. I just got, that's it. <laughs> the key to success. Yeah. 17 word subtitle. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Perfect. It was meant to be. Yeah. I, I thought it was, I thought you were actually going to say search engine optimization, that there was a bunch of good words in there for search engine optimization. It's uh, it's funny how far just, you know what, having said that, Daniel, having, you know, when search engine optimization, I used to study greatly uh, 2005 to 2009, maybe. And you could actually reverse engineer the algorithms at that point, because you could kind of sort of figure out you paid for some services, did your own little experimentation, but the algorithms now in 2023 are just so quick to adapt that that whole game is just, you know, when people now ask me about trying to rank high in Google, I'm like, oh gosh, like yeah. that ship has sailed. Like you are, you know, it's, it's interesting just to see how the algorithms have gone from something as simple that you could reverse engineer them to now being next to just impossible. And now with chat GPT, but anyway, that's sending us a whole down a whole different um, topic. What I wanted to comment on your book was that I think the reason that your book was a really great read is that in marketing, there's a principle that you always want to enter the conversation going in the mind of your customer. And there are many customers for your book, because there are many people walking around the face of the earth thinking, is this it? Is this yeah. what I'm destined to do? How do I pay for these kids? How do I get out of the rat race? So like your book is entering the question that is going on in the minds of so many people. So yeah, I thank you for writing it. And uh, I loved reading it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's fantastic. So then you chose some words very specifically there. You said that perceived risk of quitting your job or what some people thought was risky in traveling. What was, what was the biggest risk um, and how have you handled it or did it not come to fruition? Because when I look at you, I would say probably if it was me, it would be running out of money. Mm -hmm. Like that's going to be like the biggest, I know there's maybe kids education, like you talked about and all these other things that are perceived risk in some people's mind, but maybe just money. Um, was that the biggest risk that you felt when you were first going down this path or no? Absolutely. And there's a fine line between risk and fear uh, because fear is what, you know, that, that, that fogs your mind, even when you're trying to do real risk analysis and uh, try and do that with a, an open mind. It's very difficult because of the, um, the fear that you, that, that comes with that. And our, my biggest fear was going bankrupt and uh, you know, failing my family and living under a bridge the six of us under cardboard. And uh, actually, I remember um, this was in Ferris's book, The 4-Hour uh, Work Week, that he talks about um, instead of doing goal setting, uh, you should do fear setting exercises. 
and we're all used to goal setting exercises, right? You know, hit the moonshot, list them, put them on the mirror and next to your, um, where you clean your teeth so you can read that list every yeah. morning. <laughs> yeah, all, totally. all of this kind of yeah. stuff, right? Yeah. And yeah. We might have all done that. And yeah, I did, yeah. and maybe it helped. Uh, who knows? But um, writing things down definitely helps. Uh, making lists definitely helps. But then this idea of doing a, a fear-setting exercise kind of resonated. And, I'm like, huh. and he gave some examples in the book, and I give examples in my book as well. Uh, I just list down my biggest fears because I did the exercise. I just, right, okay, what is it? Number one, going bankrupt. Whew, okay. That's a bit of a non-starter then, right? Well, then we're clearly going to go bankrupt because I will be unemployed and I'm walking away shunning this business and I'll probably be unemployable again. So screw that up. Straight back to your desk. Stop dreaming. This is what stops so many of us. And this is what I probably had done in my own mind countless times before. But then when you're faced with it on the paper, and then the exercise is write down the three things that you would have to put in place to reverse that situation. So going bankrupt and living under a bridge, right? So how do I stop us going bankrupt? Well, I'm going to have to take a very close, stern look at how do I store the value of the money that I have managed to make in the past. I had savings. How do I look at that differently? What do I need to put in place? Who do I need to speak to? Um, you can probably eke that out longer than you think. Living under a bridge, going homeless. Okay, what would I actually do? Well, I'd probably pick the phone up to either my mom or dad or my wife's mum or dad or my two brothers or my wife's two brothers who between them have about six or seven houses and countless bedrooms. Uh, okay. Yeah. Fixed. So you start seeing how irrational your fear is when you can actually just write it down in front of you. And that is what I started doing. And I urge anybody else to do it that's listening that is stuck and thinking to themselves, how have I painted myself? into this career. This had nothing to do with what I studied at university. This had nothing to do with my, my past, my, my, my family's past. How am I here? How am I working nine to five? I mean, no one does that anymore. How am I working eight to eight and then flipping open the laptop on my lap at home, on my couch, in my leisure time, answering emails, just to get up at 6 a.m. to get into the office to do all this same shit again. How the fuck did I get here? Nobody's happy with that. And um, it's, too, it's too difficult and too, it, it takes up too much energy and brain power to question it when you are on that, that wheel, that hamster wheel. You cannot get off it to take a breath just to think for yourself. Um, so for those people that feel that and want something different, I would urge you to list those fears and then more importantly, write down the steps that you would take if that fear ever did come to fruition, which they generally don't <laughs> So, because you are a capable freaking human being, right? So, you know, as soon as, as soon as you feel that 
that kind of um, that pressure is like, oh, I'm going to go bankrupt. Well, what do you do? You you get creative. You figure something else out. You reach out into your network. Um, you 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 find a way to make money. Uh, it, there's 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 so much more out there just to compared to just sitting there and living, not even living. Um, going through the motions of yeah, it's like you're slowly life. dying. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, whenever, whenever, whenever my brother and I, we started this business together, whenever we feel too comfortable, we get scared because we're like, Oh shit. You know, Mm -hmm. we're like, we need to throw up some tables upside down or cause some chaos somewhere because we just know now from experience that like, that's not a good place. You know, comfort is shit. (laughs) It sounds horrible. (laughs) It sounds horrible. It's funny. Both my kids, uh, my son's here and my daughter has been helping us out with some stuff uh, recently. And I was telling someone else in the office, listen, when they come in here, I want them to suffer. I want them to suffer. <laughs> like I want stress on them. I want them to be able to handle stuff, you know, let's not make life too easy. And I think sometimes maybe, especially in a country like Canada, it's pretty easy to get yourself in a comfortable position. Mm-hmm. Then 10, 20, 30 years goes by and you're like, what the hell happened? Mm-hmm. So when you're, when you're sitting there, you have a unique perspective because now you're in France, you're moved around a little bit. You look back on some friends or your previous life. What do you want to scream out from the top of the hills and tell them to look at whether it comes from, I had a list that I kind of went through on any topic that comes to mind. Like what, what, what do you want them to be aware of right now that maybe they're not paying attention to? Oh, all of it. Man, I know that is a, that is a yeah. Cause course. you're deep down. You've gone deep yeah. down the route. Ra- it's funny because I first saw you the first time I saw your name, I guess ever would have been in uh, 2020 when I joined Safedine's. I jumped on two or three of Safedine's right. economics classes online and I saw you on there. And uh, I remember I couldn't get my head around deflation. And I asked like what looking back was the most embarrassing question to someone like safety at the time. I'm like, well, if prices go down, how can that work? Or so, just something like basic, you know? And I was like, I, to me, it was this very like perplexing thing. You know? And I think, uh, and he gave an answer and I feel like he was probably feeling sorry for me. Like, oh my gosh, you're so far behind. You need to get, you have a lot to read. You have a, you have a lot to figure out, but um that was when I saw your name on there. So you went down the rabbit hole in a lot of different things. Um, yeah. What do you want to share with somebody who back home, some of your friends, what comes to mind? Something oh, that you how, just feel how like deep they, do they you want to go to. here. I, I yeah. would love for people um, that there's a book that I've just read and considering how long I've been uh, studying monetary history, monetary policy. My goodness, I, I had an 18-year career in money, in, in mm. air quotes, in foreign exchange. Uh, and I just read a book called The Secrets of the Federal Reserve mm. by Eustace Mullins. And I can't believe I hadn't found or been told about this book sooner. I already read The, the Creature from Jekyll Island and uh, thought that was an incredible book. But, okay. Yeah. So why is this book different? Cause I think I saw you mention, I haven't read it yet. Yeah. So, uh, Edward Griffin wrote the creature from Jekyll Island. Um, I think in the nineties. Um, and I think he leaned, he must've been leaning a lot on Eustace Mullins work as well. Uh, but Mullins wrote his book back in the forties 
So for me, I'm already like, whoa, okay, I want to read that book that came from the 1940s in a period where it was much closer to the formation of the Federal Reserve, which happened in 1913, uh, because a lot of those key players would have still been alive and he would have mm. not had direct access to them, but there would have been a lot more written in uh, the press about them. And this yeah, is still he- fresh. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And this is what he did. He he studied at the um, uh, the Congressional Library. What do they call it over in the States? The National Library of Congress or something? Yeah, and, you're on the right track. We get yeah. the gist. And he was going through, you know, there was no internet, as you know, but it's like uh, microfilms or microfiches yeah. or stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And, and magazines and newspaper cuttings. And more importantly, minutes from meetings that had taken place at the FOMC and um, with inside the Federal Reserve and at congressional hearings. And he just tied all of this together and put the pieces of the puzzle together. What what interested me even more about the book was in his introduction, he talks about how he wanted to be a, a fictional writer. He wanted to be a novelist. But his mentor, who was Ezra Pound, who was uh, interned at the time for 13 years without trial in a uh, Washington medical institution. Uh, He told Mullins, look into the Federal Reserve and write a story as if it were fiction, because it might as well be, as if it were a novel, as if it were a detective kind of story, and then approach the work from that way. So he took like the actual real data points and the research points and the minutes, like I was telling you from the meetings and you put all that together and weaved it into a story. So you can read all of that, but it not be just dry, uh, you know, numbers and quotes and stuff like that. And it really started aligning the dots for me of, um, of how easy it is to socially engineer people when you can completely manipulate and force them to use the medium of exchange of your choosing. And then you have complete power over what to do with that medium of exchange. And then you get into anthropological studies and you, you, come, in, you, come, you come up against things like, uh, you know, our, our species is the only species on the planet that has evolved into uh, a civilization because and only because of our ability to use a medium of exchange to agree upon a medium of exchange to express and communicate value to each other. And that starts blowing your mind. And when you realize, oh, that got captured in 1913, and this bunch of people have then been running our lives and socially engineering us via the interest rate, which they change on a whim, whenever they want, and by the ability to tell us what currency to use. It's the US dollar over there and, or Canadian dollar for you guys. Uh, it was the British pound over here in, in uh, the UK. And like I said, when I joined the markets in 1995, it was the Deutschmark in Germany. It was the Franc in France. It was the, uh, the Lira in Italy. It was the Peseta, all gone, man, all forced by a monopoly to change the medium of exchange that they had all been using to store their value and their time 
for their hard work and their energy, all forced to convert that now into the euro under the guise of it's better for you, which is truly despicable because now what you have is a monopoly over God knows how many tens, hundreds of millions of people in Europe. And in the US, it's even worse because that is the world's global reserve currency. So what does that mean for people that might not be familiar with that? Let's say Spain buy some kind of goods, oil from uh, Canada. That would have to be, that transaction would have to be done in US dollars. So you have, it can't be like, I'm going to send you euros and you can convert that to Canadian dollars. No, it's got to go be settled as a commodity in US dollars. So they have the complete power now to control the, and socially engineer us as people by manipulating that money. And what are they doing at the moment? Just printing way, way more money into the system. And every time they do that, that devalues the purchasing power of the dollars or the pounds or the euros or the yen, whatever it is that you've worked for in the past, now loses purchasing power because there is more in circulation. It's the same that would happen with a Pokemon card, for example. You've got one of those nice, shiny, beautiful silver Pokemon cards that my son holds up on high esteem. If they decide tomorrow to print another 1 billion of those into circulation, the one that he's got sitting up there becomes less. It, it, the purchasing power becomes less. He will, be, he will be able to swap for one other normal card now rather than five other normal cards because of the inflation that happened. And that is the true definition of inflation. So that book helped me piece all these things together. Safer Dean helped me piece all of these and things so, together. Sorry, right on that book note, uh, that, that note of the book, though, I'm curious because the creature from Jekyll Island read like mm -hmm. a mystery novel to me. Like mm -hmm. I couldn't put it down. Like when I was yep. reading the creature from Jekyll Island, I was like, what am I, what is, it was like my world was exploding. It connected a lot of dots, but you're saying this particular book did it mm -hmm. a little even more, it did it a bit better because yes. it was in a story narrative. It's, it's, it's just hands down better. And really? a lot shorter. Was, can, yeah. Sorry, what was the name one more time? The Secrets of the Federal Reserve. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, okay. And then you, in that book, you're saying, you know, which is what I talk about a lot, you talk about a lot, but you're saying because the medium of exchange was captured, that in and of itself was enough to really control large masses of the population. The capture of the medium exchange. Okay, so then I have something for you. I know you're into Bitcoin, obviously. I like Bitcoin, but then we're like, okay, well, screw it, Daniel. Bitcoin's going nowhere because the medium exchange is going to continue to be captured. The US dollar is going to continue. It's going to get by law. You'll go to prison if you don't use the US dollar, uh, Daniel. So you're, you know, your whole Bitcoin thing, you know, sorry, it's over. Um, what do you have to say to that? Yeah, it, it's true. You will still have to use US dollars to pay your local or federal taxes. Uh, and that's why you're going to have to be able to still be able to get some of those US dollars. So you, you're not able to go on a complete Bitcoin standard that you would want to just yet. And of course, not enough merchants are um, accepting Bitcoin as, um, as a unit of account on their balance sheet. Uh, hopefully over time, that will change. Uh, well, there's no hopefully. Over time, that will change. 
So at the moment, many of us that have been saving in Bitcoin are in this kind of uh, situation where we do have to find a way when we do need to interact with the fiat world and pay our bills and pay our rent and do our shopping and pay our taxes and whatever else it is, um, you, you need that off-ramp into, um, into US dollars or your local currency. Can, can the government completely ban Bitcoin? No. I mean, they can, they can try, but has a government ever succeeded in completely banning anything before? I, I can't think of any examples. And in fact, when they, it's classic, <laughs> what's it called? The Cobra effect? When, um, mm -hmm. when government get involved. Something's banned. Yeah. yeah I, it becomes more desirable. I don't know if that's the Cobra effect, but in my in understanding of what you're saying is something gets banned, you actually want it more. Yeah. Um, you know. Okay. So you just used some words there that I, I just want to dig into a little bit. You said, you know, currently vendors aren't, you know, not a lot of vendors or vendors you deal with are accepting Bitcoin as medium exchange. And then you said, hopefully that will change. Then you corrected yourself and you said, mm -hmm. no, that will change. Why did you correct yourself there? Like, why, why are you saying that will change? Because I truly believe that Bitcoin is inevitable. Uh, and when people come to that realization, it's not long before they start saving their time and energy in Bitcoin as well. So over time, as people listening to this show, for example, this could be first, second, third, fourth, or fifth touch point to one of your listeners of, here's another crazy dude talking about Bitcoin. Why is he talking about Bitcoin? <laughs> you know? And actually, yeah. it doesn't seem that crazy. Like, you know, English guy living in France talking yeah. about Bitcoin. Like, it's just not adding up. And <laughs> um, why do I keep seeing articles about Bitcoin? And why is it now I go on Amazon and I type in the word Bitcoin, there's God knows how many books when there used to be none. Mm, yeah, good why point. Are yeah. There, why are there hundreds of podcasts when five years ago there were a handful? Why are there, God knows, how many YouTube channels talking about Bitcoin when five years ago there were none? Mm. Well, you know, th these things, they all have their network effect. And when people do start to realize that, hmm, it's not dead, you know, even though the mainstream media has told me about 10 to 13 times that Bitcoin is dead. So you <laughs> like, you start seeing the inconsistencies of the mainstream messaging. And then you weigh that up to the consistencies of the, the Bitcoin educators and how they're able to express the knowledge that they've learned in, uh, in a meaningful way and understandable manner. And you start naturally, people just will tend to the truth rather than the gaslighting or the lies. And Bitcoin, Bitcoin is truth. When you, when you compare the two, the monies, well, you can't. They're apples and oranges. One is a currency, one's a fiat currency. Let's, let's use a Canadian dollar. That's a fiat currency. Bitcoin is a commodity money. They are completely different things. And for those people that might not understand exactly what, what that means, so fiat just is Latin for the word, um, for the term by decree or by order of. So by order of us, you will use the Canadian US dollar. And we will put a pretty picture of our president and uh, whoever else on it, and mm -hmm. probably the maple leaf as well, just to make it look nice and fancy and 
Give Maybe the queen. Oh no, the king. Sorry. What am yeah. I saying? Oh, of course. Maybe You're we'll going to get the king, the king on, on this. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and that is what you are forced to use to buy your groceries, to buy your uh, your mm. your needs for your family, your fuel. Absolutely everything. And you need to pay us taxes in it as well. Whereas a commodity money like gold or silver, which is a commodity, uh, such as Bitcoin is a commodity money. That is uh, a, um, a, a property of people storing more faith and more value in the commodity money rather than the fiat currency. People will naturally tend towards the hardest money, the better medium of exchange, the one that was going to hold its value over time. So you've got on one side the fiat currency that is being printed into oblivion. I think Canada are probably leading the charge. We're very good at it. We are very (laughs) good at that. Hockey, hockey and printing dollars. Hockey and printing dollars. Come and talk to us. Come and talk to us. There you, there you, (laughs) there you have it. Whereas on, um, on the side of Bitcoin here, the commodity money, and it's a commodity because it's, um, of it's the the way that it's, uh, uh, distributed via the, in air quotes, mining, which is a, a bad, bad terminology um, for the, the issuance schedule of Bitcoin. So we know the issuance schedule of Bitcoin. Every 10 minutes, six and a quarter Bitcoin are released, um, rewarded, excuse me, to the, uh, the mining uh, company or the mining pool that has validated uh, the latest block. They get six and a quarter Bitcoin. Then 10 minutes later, somebody else gets six and a quarter Bitcoin. 10 minutes later and on we go. This gets halved in May of next year. That will go to 3.125, and then it gets halved four, year later, four years later. So we know the issuance schedule of Bitcoin down to the minute. Down to the last Bitcoin is going to be mined into the system in uh, May 2140. And you're hitting on such a... I didn't understand that Bitcoin had a limit and that it had this kind of schedule of a release. The reason Bitcoin is so important to the economy and the reason I think you always talk about it or I always talk about it is that in the middle of every single transaction, there is money. And when we use a form of money that the government can change the value of based on interest rates, it would be like an architect or an engineer changing how long a meter is and then trying to build a house. Yep. Because if a meter in the blueprint is one length, but then when you go to actually build the house, the meter changes, you're going to build a foundation that's all wobbly. And I think I like to try to use that as an example to explain to people who are just coming to this the realization that Bitcoin's something that important. I said, if you change the value of money constantly through interest rates, you can't build an economy that is signaling clear and concise information about the value of all the different interactions in the economy because the money itself, the thing that's in the middle of all the goods and services is always changing in value. So the whole economy gets distorted. Whereas Bitcoin is pure truth in that the information quality that you get from it is clear. Mm-hmm. And to, I know that might sound weird, Daniel, but that's to helps me understand the importance of it. It yep. stabilizes the economy. It is not volatile. I tried to explain this to a friend the other day. They're like, well, Bill, you know, good luck with that Bitcoin. How's that going? I'm like, oh my gosh, you're measuring it in dollars. Yeah. Bitcoin <laughs> hasn't changed. It's the same amount of Bitcoin that's out there. There's a schedule of its release and it's the exact same. If the price was high, it's not a reflection of Bitcoin. Bitcoin hasn't changed. It's your dollars that are changing in weird ways and mm-hmm. being reflected in the dollar price of Bitcoin. Yep. But I know that conversation starts. And, and you know, I was there at one point as well. I, I thought Bitcoin was going to die in 2017. I was a you know big gold guy. 
And I thought Bitcoin was going to die. And I remember checking the price at some point in 2017 after the peak. And I assumed it was going to be zero or like really close, like pennies. And I remember checking the price one day and it was like, it was either 4,500 or 6,500. And I remember thinking, huh? Like, you know, when you have one of those moments, you're like, oh, like I thought it was dead. Like, how is it still that even that much? And then I went away and discounted it because I thought I was too smart for it. You know, when you also have those moments, you're like, oh, oh yeah. so like dismiss, dismiss, you know, at one point, I think Nick and I, my brother were like, we'll just start the rockstar coin. How about that? You Bitcoiners, <laughs> we'll just start the rockstar coin. What are you going to do then? You know, what I mean? you don't fully grasp a concept. And, yep. uh, um, but that was one of the moments that to your point on how many books there are and how many videos there are right now, that was one of the moments where it was like, wow, this thing is really not kind of disappearing. Okay. So we started on, on, on this by me asking you, what would you like to tell some friends or family or anyone, you know, of this journey you've been on, been on. And it's interesting that you chose this. So you didn't talk about education or media or you, you you chose money. And it's obviously because it's so important to living a free life. Because it touches everything. Like you said, it touches everything. It's 50% of every transaction. And, mm-hmm. you know, fix the money, fix the world. That, that, that's uh, a meme in, in, uh, in Bitcoin that we, that we say. And what we truly believe is if we can fix the money, then we will fix the world. It's not going to happen in a click. It's not going to happen overnight. But like you said, brilliant analogy, uh, you cannot build something if somebody is changing the unit of account, like of a meter. But if someone's now all of a sudden, no, no, a meter is one meter, 10 centimeters. It's 110 centimeters. Like what you've just built is now completely irregular. Doesn't work. Crooked and it's going to fall down. Uh, The same thing with your money. You, you, You cannot build. You cannot build for your future. You cannot build your family, your life, the foundations of your life. You cannot build on a stable base because the future, as we all know, is so, I mean, no one can predict it, completely unpredictable. So what you need to, to, to weather that storm is you need a foundation. And if that foundation is fiat currency, man, like that's why we're all so miserable. That's why we're still running a thousand miles an hour at the age of 55 in that corporate life, you know, with the... Oh, just stay another five years, Jeff, and you'll get that gold type in. Like this is absolute, complete <laughs> nonsense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, type oh in. Oh if God. if he if he had been able to ha- uh, have saved his time and his energy that he had um, given up to mm. perform the tasks that he was performing, however mundane they were or however important they were, it doesn't matter. If you are being rewarded in a unit of a, in a in a money in a currency whose unit of account is constantly being changed and manipulated you are never ever going to be able to build okay let, let's play a little game then um the topic of cbdc's if anyone listening is not familiar it just stands for central bank digital currency let's play a game on where do you think the next step evolves to because it feels obvious to me that bitcoin's in its store of value phase and hopefully going towards its medium of exchange where it's you know transitions from a store of value to more and more people beginning to use it as a medium of exchange i'm not even fully fully convinced we need to go there maybe it just becomes the best store of value of all time and it's a savings account and the fiat dollars become your spending account like I 
I don't know, maybe that's the world we live in. Who knows? But, uh, but if it goes from store value to medium of exchange where, wow, it's stored its value for a long time. Now let's start using it because people believe in it because of its, it's proven mm-hmm. as, as a store of value. And then eventually to a unit of account where people just start pricing things in Bitcoin because it's yep. so prevalent and it's everywhere. You know, I do think we're kind of on that transition phase and it's an interesting time in history, but let's talk about the pushback that the governments or the existing power base would want to push back and how they would implement a central bank digital currency. What do you think? Like what, just play a game here. Like, how do you, yeah. do you think they roll this out? Like what, what do we see next in Europe in globally mm-hmm. in the U S what do you think? Uh, prepare heavy, Daniel, heavy. prepare us. Prepare us for our future. <laughs> Prepare us for our future. Heavy gaslighting. Um, so it's coming. They're, they're not even hiding it. They're, they're announcing, you know, Christine Lagarde over here, who heads up the European Central Bank, um, has already said central bank digital coins are coming um, and it will be uh, a much better system and we need to upgrade the system and the system is broken. This is all part of the great reset that just gets banded around, you know, that, that great meme from the World Economic Forum. Um, and the same in the US and the same in Canada, everywhere, a central bank digital coin is, uh, is going to be rolled out in one way, shape or form. And the one way I think they will start attacking it is via uh, social welfare, social universal basic income checks. And the narrative will be along the lines of due to forces out of our control, blah, 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 blah. There's a new emergency and we've got to reset the currency. And don't worry, it's debt jubilee for everybody, which it never is. Um, Then what we're going to do is Roll out the central bank digital currency. You're going to have to download an app on your phone. It's going to be Fedcoin or, oh God, in the UK, they're going to come up with Britcoin. Could you believe that? <laughs> has that it, name like, been tossed around already? Is by it, the Bank have of they England. Been, yeah, yeah. Oh, has it? Okay, I missed it. Oh my that. God. I yeah. Okay, Sorry. okay, Britcoin. Yeah. So download the Bank of England app and um, you're going to have a Britcoin account <laughs> and we're going to link it to, link it to, um, or Canada coin, whatever you want to call it link it to your, um, your bank account. And for the first six weeks of this, you can exchange it at uh, one, for every one and a half, uh, every $1, you'll get 1.5 Canada coin or something. Um, and going forward, mm. all social welfare, if anybody's receiving any kind of benefits for whatever, uh, even food stamps, whatever, whatever schemes they run, we're only awarding those now in the local CBDC, uh, the national CBDC, excuse me. So if you're receiving $1,000 a month in aid for education or health or whatever, uh, that will now come through on the app. That's the only way you're going to get it. And this is the way that they will start onboarding people because you go to the, those who are most fearful first. Who are the most fearful? The, the poorer people. So how do you make them poorer? by gaslighting them into believing that they're going to become poorer if they don't switch their money into the uh, the central bank digital coin. That's, and, I think, how they're going to start rolling it out. But that's okay. just so, a theory. 
No, sure. So, okay. They come up with the app, they release this stuff. You want your universal basic income or your benefits. You must get the app. It's, it's beautiful for, for adoption of the app because the app just becomes a mandatory thing you must get. Yep. Then you can get your CBDC in whatever national version. It's all the same, like a, you know, equivalent of a different fiat dollar kind of thing. But they're going to then, do you think the commercial banks just push back on that and say, oh, no, 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 you got to go through us for this? Because the commercial banks, like in Canada, we have some really power, we have a smaller amount of banks than the US. I'm not sure compared to the UK, but we have like five or six really big, powerful banks. Do you think they're just like, no, 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 listen. Um, Yeah, you can do this, but it's going to go through us and you'll have the TD bank version of the app with the CBDC. Otherwise, they're going to upset a lot of their commercial banks. No. Do you think they tie the commercial banks in some way that, that we're not, that we haven't discussed yet? They'll end up just towing the line. The only reason these banks exist in the first place is because they are licensed by the mm-hmm. Canadian Central Bank. Yeah, they have uh, a the Bank, bank of England. Yeah. yeah, the Bank of England license uh, NatWest, Barclays, HSBC, all of those banks. The same in the US, the Federal Reserve license it. So if you're not going to play along, if you don't like my idea of the CBDC, then we just find a reason to take away your license, and then you're bankrupt and you're out of business. Or yeah, like okay, you so say. You- like you say, you, you just tie um, that there'll be a tie-in. Uh, the the CBDCs uh, will that there will be some kind of fee, maybe conversion when you're when you're converting your your bank deposit into the CBDC. There'll be some kind of nice little earner for the bank there that's uh, promoting this idea because they'll mm-hmm. have to get everybody on side. And if the commercial banks are on side as well, I mean, yeah, it'd be nice to think that the commercial banks are working in free markets and competing against each other for your business the reality is they're just extensions of your current of your uh, central bank and they're all part of the same cartel mm-hmm. uh, i would love to see um free open markets in banking arise again but like i said the only way you can offer banking services to people any kind of financial services to people is if you get the green light by that entity that issues those licenses and if you don't have that you can't operate you just go to jail if found that you are operating without that license. But if you do want that license, then you have to play by their rules and join their fun little club. It's amazing that you can open up almost any business you want, but if you try to open up a bank, you have to kind of beg for this approval and no one really questions it. Like, you know, what's the deal? And this Um, is what Caitlin Long is going up against in the U S she's been trying to open a bank called Custodia Bank, which would be a Bitcoin uh, native uh, bank offering banking services to um, Bitcoiners, um, whether that's deposit accounts, whether that's loan accounts, you name it, just a normal service that any other bank would operate under with uh, fiat deposits, currency deposits. Can she get a license? No. Has she done everything that the Federal Reserve has asked her? Yes, they've got a stack of paperwork this thick. And she was given a, um, a speech about this at the conference just last week in Miami. And she's, you know, she's losing her mind. She's like, we, we keep giving them exactly what they need. But then <laughs> another regulation point comes up and then another and then another and then another and all of these st- stalling tactics because they will never, ever give her the license. And when you read the secrets of the Federal Reserve, you will understand why. Um, okay, uh, let's 
Let's just flip the switch to a very sunny, positive topic here. Yep. What has been the some of the greatest uh, stuff of you know going through this adventure? Like, what? How are your kids doing right now? Yep. They either they just this is normal life to them. I mean, you're living in France. It's this is normal. What What are some of the things that maybe you were scared of with the children that have not come to fruition, or some things that have? that have the challenges that have, can you share with us just for someone not have gone through what you and your family have? Can you share us some insight maybe around the kids and the family unit? Absolutely. Because the, you know, the biggest, the the most talked about subject topic with our friends and family was, you know, you're, you're going to damage your kids by taking them out of school. And that is the prevailing kind of, (laughs) I love the look on your face when you said that. (laughs) It's like, hang on a minute. Did you not listen? I I just told you we're taking the kids out of school and we're going to take them around the world and show them as much as we can and um, do as much as we can and layer on top of that as much learning experience, experiential um, touch points that we can. No, 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 no. They'll never be able to socialize. The classic, the classic FUD from people that, um, are first learning about not going to school and you're like, uh, okay, why do you believe school is a sociable place in the first place? Like let's actually stop and think about that. What makes you think that that is a sociable environment when you are frog marched there at the age of five, walked through a door you walk one way, your mother walks the other way, then they lock the barrier between you <laughs> and may even have a guard on it. Oh, and oh then you're God. frog-marched into a classroom with 29 strangers who have been assigned to each other alphabetically by some faceless algo. There's not much social interaction going on just yet from what I can see. No, I so what- sorry, you're, you're, you're sharing this as, and this is now me reflecting on <laughs> what kind of father I am at kindergarten. My daughter wouldn't, wouldn't let go of me. So the teachers like grabbed her hands and she was grabbing the fence and they told me to walk away. And I walked away. She was screaming and crying. I like to think that I've done other things to educate her about the world and money and finances and life that I've made up for those points that I lost in that experience, Daniel. Okay. But I am one of those people that get went through what you're just describing. I had never heard the term frog marched until today, by the way. So I don't know if that's a British thing or what, but I like, I like the frog marching. Um, But yeah, that is, uh, that's what we are all just kind of trained to believe. So um, Mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're reflecting back, I guess, laughing on it. Yeah. It it tears me up. It tears me up to think that uh, people believe that's good for kids. We've been told so many, how many times have you heard it? Oh, it's good for them. It's good for them, you know, to get them out of the family and running around with kids of their own age. It's like the kids crying. It's crying. It's looking at me. It's crying. It doesn't want me to go. But me walking away is good for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's good for it. Don't worry. Like, you know, it'd be fine. It'll stop crying in about 10 minutes. You know, it's fine. And I saw this actually um, with a kid that was still 11 years of age each morning. He would cry when his mother would. Like, this is a psychologically damaged child. And this would have mm. happened from the age of three, where they do start in the school here. And um, I've had Naomi Fisher on my podcast uh, talking about this, and she's a uh, child psychologist. 
And she talks about it like so clearly. And um, I could never do as good a job as her as getting this point across. What, what was the conclusion of what you said then around this? What, why are we doing this to kids? Why? Hmm. Why? Why have we been completely gaslit into believing that it is the only way for them to be able to be educated is to be ripped away from the family and put in to a classroom with 29 other strangers and listen to a flapping head at the front of the room for eight yeah. hours a day doing low-grade clerical work. This like absolutely makes no sense at all. And then you go down the rabbit hole of, you know, oh, well, they'll never have, they, you know, they, they won't learn anything. Like they, what's going on there isn't learning. What's going on there is teaching. There's a definitive difference between teaching and learning. Learning is something that happens naturally. Learning is something that happens when you apply yourself to something because you mm. find it interesting and it's voluntary. Teaching is sit down, shut up, turn to page nine and parrot after me. Little Johnny, stop messing around, go stand in the corner. There's a huge divide between education, the definition of education in, in those two examples. But our education system is insidiously designed to um, systematically beat out of you your, your, your will, your creativity, your, your spark, your drive, your desire, your passion. It's not there to celebrate the individual. It's there to destroy the individual. And so that where, is um, exactly what's going on. So what, 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 how does this change then? And the, it seems especially you know, strange now with things like artificial intelligence that are coming out. And, you know, I'm sure you've played around or at least heard of the chat GPT mm -hmm. stuff. I mean, um, you know, I see essays being written that are being, you know, submitted to different universities. Professors don't know what's going on. The schools, like it just, it, you know, even in the workplace and jobs and stuff, it's, it's, it's really made things that weren't efficient before. So efficient, even in our business, we're using it. Our, our marketing manager uses it daily, multiple times, chat GPT. It's, um, so like, if you've kind of given the you know money, some thought, you're just thinking education at some point, it just loses its purpose entirely the way it's structured right now. There's no need for it. Does it no. naturally, it, I, does it naturally dissolve itself? I don't think so. This feels like it's going to hang on forever to me. No, they, the, 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 the same people that control the money control the education system, control mm -hmm. the pharmaceutical companies, um, control the agricultural complex. That was the, the coup d'etat of the 20th century, monopolizing each one of these areas and using the education system to indoctrinate us and to keep John Taylor Ghetto writes. I mean, John Taylor Ghetto is the man to read. Uh, he's got several books on it. He was a state school teacher for 30 years before. Okay. And I system. think I just, this is who you were just tweeting about some stuff today or recently, right? Yes. About him? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about, about him? Sorry, I'm, I'm cutting you off. Yeah, no problem. Um, he won teacher of the year two or three times uh, in uh, New York state. Uh, and after 30 years of working in state schools, uh, suddenly woke up to the fact he was, um, he didn't want to harm kids anymore because he'd had that epiphany that, oh shit, what I'm doing, what I've been trained to do is to actually socially engineer and um, dumb down, in effect, uh, people rather than lift them up and help them individually become creative. And 
so I, you know, I went down this rabbit hole very quickly when we doing the research before we did go on the travel and pull our kids out of school. It's like, Oh, mm-hmm. well, what are we going to do here? And I found, um, a friend of mine sent me a link to Sir Ken Robinson's Ted talk called do schools kill creativity. And Sir Ken himself was, uh, from academia, uh, and a professor and delivered that talk in 2006. And so when we were looking at it in 2014, it was even more poignant. It's like, wow, everything he's saying here is just, he's nailing every point. And here we are, we're late to this video. We're eight years late to this video and nothing has changed. In fact, it's even got worse. And now when you look at it, it, it in 2023, and if you watch that talk from 2006, you just, it's going to make your head spin because what, oh, what is going on? What is going on is creativity is being squashed and it is completely destroyed. Um, and you know the, the formation of just minions that are easily led and will comply and ha- have a belief that they aren't, well, they have no idea who they are. That's the thing. We all left school. You're an entrepreneur. You found what it was. You found your thing. Most people have no idea who the hell they are because they left school. Then they went to the college. Mm-hmm. Then they went to the university. Then they did the PhD. Then they went to that job and they're still there. None of that is you because all of it has been engineered for you since the age of five. And what I hope to see is more people freed from this system. If we can have more people able to think for themselves, to have the time to figure out who they are, to have the time to lay in the grass and look at the clouds, to have the time to mm-hmm. write the music or play that instrument or play yeah. that sport yeah. or read those books or write those. Give their true or, gift to the world. Yeah. Exactly yeah. that. Yeah. Which is completely oh. missing in our society today. And when you roll it back, it goes to what you talked about earlier. When you control the medium of exchange, you control so much. Yep. You know, because what you said is that you, you wish for people to have the time to do these things. Mm -hmm. And when you control that medium of exchange and you change the value of it, I, I, you know, I, I almost feel for some people because they don't have time. They're, they they're don't trying have to pay time. the rent and they're, they're trying to pay the rent and buy the groceries. And it's like, Daniel, both parents you know, are hey, working, man, right? Both, both parents are yeah. working. Why are both parents working? Because you don't have the savings it, because the mm-hmm. savings have been witted away by the people that control and manipulate the fiat currency you have been forced to use. And that's why you believe Bitcoin offers some hope to all of us is that it has the ability to really flip the game and give us our, you know, our time and energy can be stored in a way that doesn't get abused and manipulated and devalued so that we can all have some more time in our lives. See, I'm trying to bring it back. I'm trying to bring, I'm trying to end with this positive. I'm trying to end with this positive (laughs) thing. I'm just joking. Yeah. 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 You know, Bitcoin is hope. Uh, you know, that that's, that is not a meme. Go to hope.com. It's created by Michael Saylor. Yeah. And it, what a great resource for people to go and start looking and finding interviews and books. Yes. 
Do you, do you have a few more minutes? We're over the time I thought I had put. Yeah, for go, go for it. I have, I, okay, I, I, have, I, just, I, just, I wanted to ask you this. Do you think then in our lifetime, you, you will see Bitcoin have enough of an impact that will satisfy you? So not that it won't have an impact. Will it have enough of an impact that it will satisfy Daniel Prince in your lifetime? Oh, it already has. Uh, yeah. The, okay. The, yeah. The, the things that have already happened, uh, the change I felt it make in, in my life, in my persona, the, um, the effect it's had on other people I've met, um, the positive effect it's had on our whole family because of the way it's rewired my brain. Uh, I don't have to, um, I, I used to sit up, God knows how, how long just watching stock markets, you know, like in, mm. a, in a crazy frenzy, like how, what am I going to do now? You know, like, Oh, this is up, this is down. Yeah. You just, just trying to guess, you know, and it's a complete guessing game. Um, I don't need to do that anymore. And the, the, the change in my behavior, my thinking, um, my personality, uh, is, is a positive trickle down effect. And, my family will feel it and people around me will feel it. And if everybody uh, can experience that and they will, once they start learning about Bitcoin, that is how we start growing um, a much more cohesive community. And all of this kind of cancel culture and caroning behavior slowly goes away over time. If we can get everybody able to save their time and energy in an unconfiscatable and immutable unit. Permissionless. Permissionless, yeah. exactly. Permissionless is a big one. You don't need to go and sign up an account uh, with Bitcoin Inc. You know, there get is approval. No. <laughs> no, you can just get, um, well, you, you probably go and open a brokerage account somewhere. People are used to doing that anyway. And um, you can start buying through an exchange or you can, just Google um, Bitcoin meetups. Go and find a Bitcoin. In meetup. Canada, yeah, actually, yeah. there's one great thing on this note. I don't know if you follow Bull Bitcoin in Canada. Yeah. You can go to any post office here in Canada and right. up to $1,000 at a time. You can hand it over the cash and you will get Bitcoin. You will get the cash deposited at Bull Bitcoin and then you can buy Bitcoin. You don't have to even put your name into the account. Yep. It, it, there, this is actually a very beautiful thing. Um, and in a way to, to buy Bitcoin in Canada, I got to commend, uh, bull Bitcoin. I wasn't really too familiar with their services, but that one got my attention for sure. That is, so, that um, is the best way in for anybody listening. If that's your first touch point, take a hundred bucks at a post office, ask to buy some Bitcoin, start figuring out what it is, figure out how to interact with it. Take it very slowly. Do that once a week over the next 50 weeks with what you can afford. And if you're using cash, you're not tied to any exchange. Um, it's completely anonymous. You own it. Nobody can freeze your account, which apparently they're very fond of doing in Canada. And um, you can... <laughs> We're good at that too? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Daniel, jeez. Um, 
Um, I, I, I'm curious. I, we gotta, I, I have to actually wrap up myself now here in a minute, but now I'm curious. You said it changed. Like for me, Bitcoin has been really comforting mm-hmm. in that it's given me peace of mind. When you see all these banking crises going off in the States and, you know, in the Europe and Credit Suisse and all this stuff. And it's just given me this peace of mind where I'm like, oh, that's kind of interesting, but my Bitcoin is my Bitcoin and you know, you're not going to mess with that. So it's given yeah. me a very comfortable, like this just peace of mind that I can't explain. And I really, really appreciate that as just one of the many aspects of it that I, I really value. How has it changed your, you mentioned it changed you in, in what way comes to mind when I say that, did it change you? Exactly the same as you, uh, a much greater peace of mind, uh, mm-hmm. just being able to slow down to think, uh, you, you, you're able to think a lot clearer because you do have that, um, store of value under your belt. And a lot of people that have in, um, invested in gold have probably felt that the first time that they did invest in gold. Yeah. Uh, they've probably had the same or similar kind of feeling. So I'd urge them to, to try this with, uh, with Bitcoin too, and, and just layer on top of, um, of your portfolios, whatever it is, um, investment theses, and think about why you don't have exposure to this financial asset that has been around since 2009 and is still available, is still alive, and you can still be a part of this network that is growing every day. And it's not about that. Yeah, let's close on this. It's not about the the price of dollars. It's not about the number go up against Canadian dollars or US dollars or whatever. It's about the amount of people that join the network, which goes up every single day. There's no graph on that that I've found, but every day that is just straight up more people on the network that will never go down. And if more people are joining the network every single day, what's that going to do? to the price. Of course, you know, if more people are buying Bitcoin, that means it's going to be uh, more distributed. There's only a finite amount of them as we know. So make sure you're part of this as we are venturing into unknown waters and watching history play out in front of our eyes as our civilization is converging on a new medium exchange which is digital and scarce. And I think this time in history will be studied for thousands of years to come. Daniel Prince, uh, thank you. I mean, I really appreciate this. We met briefly once in person. I managed to shake your hand at the Bitcoin conference last year. I wasn't there this year. There was some family stuff that I wanted to be a part of here, and then I, I didn't go this year, but I'm sure our paths will cross at one of these conferences again. There's a Canadian one actually coming up the first time ever in Toronto. So I'm really excited about that. But we didn't mention at the beginning, you're also the host of Once Bitten, a Bitcoin podcast. So if you're not familiar with Daniel Prince, Prince's podcast, Once Bitten, you can check that out. His book, Choose Life on Twitter at Princey SOV. What is the SOV? Princey SOV. Have I asked you that before? What store of value? 
It is store of value. When I wrote it down, I go, I bet it's store of value. I bet it is store of value at Princey store of value. S-O-V, Princey S-O-V. We will have links in the show notes to all of this. So if you're listening to this while you're driving, we'll have uh, links to all of these things. Uh, Daniel, I I don't know what to say. Just really appreciate it. You don't know me super well. So to do this and take time to to share this, really, really appreciate it. So uh, thank you for everything that you're doing. Thank you for the podcast episodes that you're putting out. Thank you just for what you're doing and, and how you're impacting all of us appreciate it thank you mate thank you for um for having me on and thanks for doing what you do and uh, i hope uh, the listeners um, have enjoyed the, the the rip today hey everyone hopefully you enjoyed that chat with daniel prince his twitter handle again is at princey p-r-i-n-c-e-y-s-o-v so princey s-o-v he is the host of the podcast once bitten a bitcoin podcast so you can check him out there as well and if you are listening to this and you want to dive into the world of canadian real estate and you're trying to figure out if it's the right thing for you and you don't know where to start, we have a bunch of resources available to you. They're all available at the URL rockstarinnercircle.com. That's rockstarinnercircle.com. That's it for this episode. Until next time, your life, your terms.